Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, your, your faithfulness to us throughout this very bizarre year. You've been our refuge and our comfort. You've been faithful. You've been unchanging. And as we study your word this morning, we just ask that you'd speak to our hearts, that you would grow us in this area of giving, to reflect your glory. You're the ultimate giver. So Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is this. The church of Jerusalem is going through a really hard time financially. So Paul is going throughout the Gentile churches and asking them to take a special offering to care for the church in Jerusalem. This was an amazing expression of the power of the gospel because the church in Jerusalem was primarily Jewish, and you have these Gentile believers that outside of Christ would have been extremely divided, but yet in Christ they are united. I want to take this opportunity to, to thank you as a church uh, family in this uh, difficult year. In this area of giving, you guys have been faithful to continue to give to the work of the Lord, and it's been humbling. There's a lot of people from our church uh, that haven't been able to come to in-person services all the way back in March and have watched online but have continued to give to uh, the work of the Lord. And what we're going to study today on being a joyful giver, you guys are really doing that. You're really doing that in your, your finances, but also in every area of your life. And one thing that I've noticed is that Satan's an opportunist. Have you guys noticed that? So he's attacking churches during this COVID pandemic and crisis. And churches have divided and there's gone through a lot of messy difficulty. And, and to see you guys continue to love the Lord, to continue to love one another, to continue to love your community, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for continuing to keep your eyes uh, on the Lord. Also, I want to thank uh, our board of elders. Our board of elders have been awesome throughout uh, 2020. For our elders, there's a lot of years uh, where it's fairly quiet, thankfully. But this was not one of those years. We've met a lot and prayed a lot, and they've really been up to the task to, to press in for decisions that God would have for our uh, church family. Also want to thank our leadership team, our pastoral leadership team. That's Robert Beach, Sean Rafferty, and Dan Hooker. And the four of us lead together with the staff and for the church body. And we meet weekly, but man, they have been long meetings uh, this year. We've had some late night meetings, and those guys have been awesome. Very thankful to them and their partnership to serve with them. Um, and I want to thank our whole uh, pastoral staff. God's given us an amazing uh, pastoral staff. So. Matt Patterson stepping up with the online ministry to make that happen. As everything is coming down in March, I was like, hey, Matt, do you think you could be a pastor over this? We never had a pastor over that and really make it to where it's interactive, to where there's a ministry team that's ready to do chats and comments, and he's stepped up to the challenge. Uh, Doug Saxton and Beth in children's ministry. I often think of their job this year as like kind of being a lifeguard, but nobody's swimming in the pool, you know? And it would have been easy for them to just kind of check out with children's ministry being closed so much. But they've been so creative with all the videos that they've released for kids and to pray over the kids. And I could go through our whole pastoral staff and our staff 
as well. But I really want to thank them for their heart of giving. I think you know this about our staff here, but they're not just here to get a paycheck. It's not a job. It's a calling unto uh, the Lord. Billy with worship and the worship team have just been warriors this year. You know, how much more has worship really impacted our hearts and our lives? And, and week after week, you know, coming and leading us in worship and, and times leading us in worship where there's an empty sanctuary and we're all uh, online. So I want to want to thank him for his uh, leadership as well. But then all of you volunteering, you know, continuing to volunteer, continuing to serve, and just that, that faithfulness uh, unto the Lord. You know, the, the tech team uh, behind the, the sound booth has become so important, and Dan Champion, and that's a very private ministry. It doesn't get a lot of public attention, but we're so thankful for, for all their work. So please hear my heart. I'm thankful for the body here, thankful for the staff, thankful for everyone that has been volunteering. And we have seen God move, and we have seen God work. And something that has been on my heart for the last two or three years is to pray that God would give us a greater revelation of Jesus. It seems like from Paul's writings, everything flows out of that deeper understanding of who Jesus is, that personal knowledge of of Christ. And he prays that over churches that are doing well. We oftentimes think of praying that for people that don't know the Lord, but he's he's praying that for uh, believers. So I've been praying that for our church and my family, my life, my life personally. And I've seen the Lord answer that prayer this year, but I gotta tell you, it's not through the way that I thought he would do it, right? It's really come through the difficulty and the challenge of 2020. But I wanna encourage you to continue to press into your relationship with Christ. Christ really is personal with you and wants to continue to reveal himself to you in a a greater way. This is our last in-person service of the year this weekend. And it's a good time as we go into this week to pause and go, what is it that God has been teaching me through 2020? It'd be easy just to get frustrated and go, here's all my frustrations of, of 2020. Please don't make them into New Year's resolutions. You know, don't make it into 2021 New Year's resolutions. Those don't even last till Valentine's Day. But Lord, what have you been teaching me about yourself? Make it simple. One or two things that the Lord really wants you to lay hold of and take with you into uh, 21. So that's my heart as we get into this text on, on giving. So let's jump in and look at verse 1. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Acacia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Paul, as he presented this need to the Gentile churches, it was the church of Corinth that stepped up a year prior and said, yeah, we want to give. And that commitment of giving then stirred up the Macedonians. But we know from chapter 8 that the church of Corinth didn't follow through with that commitment to give. But nonetheless, that initial step did stir on the Macedonian church. And Hebrews chapter 10 tells us to consider one another, to stir each other up to love and good works. Maybe that's happened sometime in your relationship with the Lord where you observe another believer not in jealousy or not in comparison, but in godly being stirred up. You go, man, I just love the way they love Jesus. 
I love the way that they serve others. I, I love the way that they live out a life of, of giving, and it stirs you to love and good works. So a lot of times there's this realization of, wow, I see them doing it. I see Christ empowering them. It encourages me that that could take place in my life as well. And so that's what happened for the church of Macedonia. In verse 3, Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. So, so Paul says, I didn't want my boasting to be in vain. I'm sharing that you guys are going to give this gift, and I didn't want that to be empty promises. So he sends a team ahead of himself in verses 4 and 5. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Paul didn't want this to simply become an obligation. wanted it to come from a heart of generosity, overflowing from what Christ had done in their hearts and lives. So he says, I'm going to send these guys beforehand to let you know that I'm coming in a few weeks, in a, a few months, to where they're not just feeling the pressure of Paul's presence. This does give us a lesson about giving, is giving really doesn't happen without preparation. It takes a certain level of, of preparation just even to be able to give, to think about it, to set time aside. You know, if we're going to give of our time, we have to prepare for that. If we're going to give of financial uh, resources, there has to be a, a preparation that takes place. And if we're not preparing, then it's easy for giving to just go by the wayside, to, to simply not have the time, to, and to not have the money. And God encourages us to give our first, first fruits to him, to set those aside unto uh, the Lord. In verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, this verse has been grossly used out of context to come up with some kind of weird scheme that if you give money to the work of the Lord, then you're going to get it back to you fivefold. If you give $500, you're going to get $2,500 in return. And I don't think that that's scriptural and biblical. Giving is not trying to get something back from the Lord. It seems obvious to me what verse 6 is telling us is that if you sow, you're going to reap. You think of a seed that is planted into the ground, and it's this small seed. And if you take the time to put it into the ground and water it and keep the weeds away, God's going to bring the increase, and you're going to have a harvest. And when we choose to give in the work of God, when we give money to, to God's work, when we give time and talents to God's work, we put that seed into the soil, God's harvest, then God is going to multiply for his glory. We get the joy of being able to be a part of God's work. We get the joy of seeing, wow, this is how God used that financial gift in the life of someone else. This is God, how God used this time to really encourage uh, some, someone else. But if we don't sow, we're not going to reap, right? If a year goes by and you don't plant in the garden, we have some garden beds in our, our backyard, and there's been a few years where it's like, man, I'm just not up for it this year. Well, well, we don't have the harvest. 
And when we choose to say, well, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have the desire to invest in the work of God, then we don't get the joy of getting to be part of the harvest. So there's this proportion in giving. As we invest in the kingdom of God, we get to enjoy the fruit and enjoy the reality of the Lord working. Verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. This is the individuality in, in giving. Let each of you purpose in his own heart. This is what's so cool about joyful giving unto the Lord, is God wants it to be personal between you and him. So in this need for the church of Jerusalem, I'm sure there would be some that didn't feel led to give. I'm sure that there would be some that were led to give a large amount, and there were some maybe that were giving a medium amount, some small amount. It's not about the amount or whether someone not gave, but they purposed in their own heart to give unto the Lord because God had led them because they'd been moved by God's love and grace uh, for them. Maybe you're new to our church and you're like, man, what a crazy way for this guy to end 2020. He just has no sensitivity. Here he is talking about giving when it's been such a, a tough time and, and tough year. Well, please know not every message as our church is on giving. If you don't believe me, go look at the website, look at the prior messages. We go through books of the Bible verse by verse, and we teach on giving when God brings it up in Scripture. It's our heart here in RMC that this would be lived out, that your giving would be between you and the Lord, that you would purpose in your own heart what God would have you uh, to give. You may have noticed we don't take an offering past the plate as we go through the service, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the reason for that is we want your giving to be between you and the Lord. There's something you can do private between you and the Lord. There's, there's offering boxes in the foyer in the back of the sanctuary. You can give online. It's a way that you can do kind of a, an online offering box, uh, if you would. Also, when unbelievers come to our church, which we're thankful that people come here that, that don't know Christ, we don't want them to think they're only after my money, right? If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, God's not interested in your money. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in you knowing his grace. He, he wants to give something to you, and that is the gift of your son. So in light of that, as we pray through giving, what has God put on our hearts to give? Let's follow through with that. In Malachi chapter 3, it tells us this about giving. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? So we wouldn't ever think about robbing God. But God sees it as robbery when we fail to follow through with the tithes and offerings that he's put on our heart. You are cursed with a curse. You have robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be not room enough for you to receive it and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. This is the only area in scripture that I know of that God says, try me in this, test me in this. If you honor me with tithes and offerings, 
I'm going to open up a blessing to you. Now again, this is not some get-rich-quick scam, but it's us honoring God with the first fruits of our finances unto the Lord. And God says, I'm going to open up a window of heaven. So as we give, it's something that we get to pray through and we get to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but follow through for God's glory. By the way, did you know that if you need to borrow money, you don't ever want to do it from a pessimist? Or you actually, you do want to do it from a pe- pessimist. Here's the reason why. Because they don't expect you to pay them back. <laughs> That's good advice right there. How about this? Why do they call money dough? Because we all need it. Ooh. So everybody that's online, here's your opportunity. Okay, there's, with online, there's chats and comments. Could you imagine if there's, we had chats and comments with in-person services? Like you could just put it right up there. Lame joke right there. So, so if you're online right now, I want you to post your best dad joke regarding money. So if you've got a good dad joke regarding money, uh, you can put it together. So let's go on into continuing with verse 7. And you're like, please, please, let's do. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is attitude in giving. Attitude in giving is important to the Lord. I hope that we understand God's not broke, and he doesn't need our money. He owns everything. As parents, when we encourage our kids to give, we're wanting to grow their hearts. We're wanting to grow their character. And it's the same way with God. He's growing us as he encourages us to invest in things that are eternal. You think about Christmas gifts. This is a good time to reflect on on giving as we've just exchanged gifts with uh, one another. Maybe you've received a gift from someone where they give it out of obligation or they give it grudgingly and you're like, this is the heaviest Christmas gift I've ever received because there's so many strings attached to it. Man, I can't even enjoy this. And, and so as we give, the Lord doesn't want us to be in that place where we're giving out of necessity, but we're giving out of joy. Whenever we read in Scripture something where it says that God loves something, we want to pay attention. God loves, he delights in a cheerful giver. There's some Bible translations that put this as a hilarious giver. You're just, you're filled with joy. You're, you're filled with laughter in being able to give unto the Lord. Maybe we need to be reminded of giving joyfully with our time and, and our talents. Remember when you first got saved and you first came to know Christ your Savior and you're like, Jesus, you're so good. I just want to serve you. I'll serve in children's ministry. I'll be a greeter. I want to serve my neighborhood. I want to serve at my work. Or they need someone to take the trash out at work. I'd be, I'd be happy to do that. And over time, our attitude can really change. And you're like, man, children's ministry is just the squeaky wheel of the church. I'm just tired of hearing that they don't have enough people for children's ministry. I don't like kids. Get off my back, right? You know? I'm so sick and tired of my neighborhood. My, my neighbors are grouchy and, and cranky. I, I don't want to do anything to serve them and help them. And I've put in my time at work. I'm not taking out any trash. I'm not the new guy anymore. I, I've been there for five years, f- 15 years. And we've got our eyes off of the Lord. And we've gotten our eyes on people. And to put our eyes back on the Lord and say, God, I just want to serve you in joy. Maybe in giving, our, our giving to the Lord has lost that, that joyful attitude in financial giving. Maybe it's not necessarily grudgingly or out of obligation, but it's become habit. 
It's just, it's just habit to give the tithe check, to, to do it on, online, and we've lost sight of, this is my worship unto the Lord. And I get to give this hilariously, joyfully unto the Lord. In verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you also, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Giving is a practical expression of our trust in God's ability to provide. Because apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives, we're going to tend to just hold on to all resources as much as possible. I mean, who thought there'd be a shortage on toilet paper this year, right? I heard teeping is at a record low. <laughs> but our nature is to say, I'm just going to hold on to all these resources in case I, I need something later on to make sure that my needs are, are taken care of. I'm going to hold on to my time and make sure that all my time is, is unto to myself. But, but when we give, we're practically declaring to the Lord, God, I trust that you're my provider. You're, you're able to, to provide. You're able to multiply the resources and multiply the time. In verse 9, as it is written, he is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. This is Psalms 112 verse 9. Paul quotes from the Old Testament. There is a legacy in giving. When a life is lived in surrender to the Lord, that provides a legacy. It says here, his righteousness endures forever. A person's life is remembered for their love for Christ and their investment into the kingdom. I think of my great aunt Bertha. Isn't that a perfect name for a great aunt? So I was born and raised in Grants Pass, Oregon, and she lived in Rogue River, was seven miles up the I-5 freeway. She never had kids, and her husband passed away early in her life, so she was a widow. In the years that I knew her, she was in her 80s and uh, her 90s. She had this really beautiful pear tree in her backyard that we would go and help her pick her pears. Every time we went to her house, she always had ice cream, and that won my heart. It didn't matter if it was 10 o'clock in the morning, you were going to have ice cream at Aunt Bertha's house. She also had salt and pepper shakers in her little dining room, that were quite honestly very scary. It's like, why do you collect these? And some of these are just downright freaky. I mean, I don't, I don't understand those, but she had this whole wall of salt and pepper uh, shakers. And she lived a very simple life. She had a small two-bedroom house and just bought very few groceries. And there was times that we wondered, did she have enough resources and, and tried to, to help her out? And in her 90s, she, she passed away and comes to find out she had a boatload of money a whole bunch of money. And she saved it and saved it and saved it and, and invested it. And you know what she did with all that money? She gave all of it away to her church and missions. Just every, every, every part of it. She didn't use it for herself and wanted to give it away to missions. And her love for Jesus is a legacy that lives on. I was able to receive her Bible at her funeral. Her funeral was the first funeral that I ever spoke at. I was 14 years old. Little did I know that that was setting a course for, for my life. And her Bible's just all wore out in her love for Jesus. And duct tape on it and underlined uh, verses. Her life is a testimony of a love for, for Jesus. And there's that legacy that happens as we choose to live a giving life. Verse 10, now may he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you've sown and increase 
the fruits of your righteousness. This is multiplication that happens in giving. We think of the five loaves and two fish. A boy went to hear Jesus teach, and I'm sure mom sent him with a lunch. Pretty good lunch, five loaves and and two fish. It was the first original Chick-fil-A sandwich right there. (laughs) Jesus gives the task to the disciples to feed this mass multitude. The disciples are like, we don't have any resources. But here's this boy that's willing to share his lunch. The five loaves and the two fish end up in the hands of Jesus, and Jesus multiplies. That little bit of time that you invest in someone's life, God can multiply it and cause it to have huge dividends. My pastor growing up talks about one of his youth pastors that would stop by and play catch with him and play football with him. Only did that a couple of times, but it totally impacted and changed his life. Half hour, a couple of times, maybe an hour altogether. God used that to totally impact this young man's, man's life. That $5 that you invest into the kingdom of God, when it's placed into God's hands, it can be multiplied in such a God-honoring way. In verse 11, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So why are you enriched in everything? Why do we have an abundant life? Why are you blessed? Maybe you've reflected this week and gone, man, I just feel so blessed. I've been so blessed. Paul spoke to Abraham, or excuse me, God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. And here Paul writes and says, you are enriched in everything for liberality, for generosity. So the reason that God blesses you is so that you can be a blessing to others. So you can be a blessing to believers. You can be a blessing to unbelievers. Even dream about impacting the nations, God wanting the the gospel to go out into the nations. We really lose sight of why God has blessed us if we don't seek to be a blessing to others. In verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. So as people receive this gift, they abound in thanksgiving to God. So God is glorified in giving. God is the ultimate giver, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and as we give, we reflect his image as the giver. Verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God, for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of their exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is how the Apostle Paul ends this section on giving. These two chapters on giving. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's singular We could easily say thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts, plural. But it's one gift that's on the mind of the Apostle Paul, and that's the gift of the only begotten. The Father speaks two times audibly for heaven when you could hear his audible voice. Don't you wonder what the Father's voice sounds like? The first was when Jesus was baptized. 
Jesus comes out of the water of baptism, surrendering himself to the call of the Father, and the Father speaks from heaven, and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my only begotten. I love him. I want you to know I love him. Mount of Transfiguration. The Father speaks once again, and he says, this is my beloved Son. Hear him. Pay attention to him. Focus on him. Why does the Father want us to know how much he loves the Son so that we would understand this indescribable gift? We resonate with this to some degree as parents with how much we love our kids. We really can't comprehend giving the life of our kids for someone else. Contemplate the magnitude of this statement for the Apostle Paul. Paul is at a loss for words when it comes at the majesty of Christ. Paul speaks the Greek language. Consider the Greek language for just a moment. Vocabulary is extensive. Several Greek words that we translate into one English word, love. There's several moods and tenses in the Greek language to help you be able to communicate. You could argue that Greek is one of the most descriptive languages. Paul's writing in the Greek language. Also, inside of that, Paul's a master at the Greek language. He's a huge intellect. But he's saying, I don't have words even to be able to describe this amazing gift of Christ. And we think of some prior verses in 2 Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. That he gave up his riches and became poor so that we could become rich in Christ. I want you to hear this this morning. Giving is a get to, it's not a have to. Please don't misunderstand. You don't give to earn or deserve God's merit or favor. If you're thinking, I've got to give my time, I've got to give resources unto God for God to be pleased with me, that's hogwash. That's nonsense. The only thing that could cause us to be in a position where we have God's favor is the blood of Jesus. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're loved, you're accepted, he doesn't love you more because you gave more, you're not going to get a gold plaque with your name on it and a special chair here at RMC because you, you gave more, Right? You're in the club if you know Christ as your Savior. You're accepted as Him, and that's as good as it gets. If you're trying to decide if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, please don't think that you've got to try to be good enough or try hard enough or do all of these things to earn salvation. The only way you can be saved this morning is to receive this indescribable gift, to realize that you're a sinner. And then respond in repentance to turn from sin and believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. Understand there is a heaven and there's a hell and it's only Christ that can take you to heaven and humble your heart and say, Jesus, save me. And out of this place of being born again, we get to give. We get to respond and be a joyful giver unto the Lord. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for Rocky Mountain Calvary, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's been a joy to journey together through this year. And this year has been unprecedented. It's been, it's been difficult. Has had challenges personally and challenges corporately. And I thank you for their love for you. 
their giving hearts, their love for the body of Christ and their love for the community and the love for the world. I pray that you would encourage us as a church family, that you would guard and protect our unity, that you would guard and protect our purity. We want to be in a place where we're in love with you. We do ask for that epinosis, that deeper revelation of Jesus. Jesus, would you be so gracious to take us deeper in you? And as we reflect on you, Jesus, being the ultimate gift, you being the the indescribable gift, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we, we thank you that you love us enough to send your son. So we celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your faithfulness. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.